Hello everyone, and uh, thank you so much for joining us today, and happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Um, can I just say real quick that um, we know that nothing would get done if it wasn't for you guys. So thank you so much for what you do for us, and I really hope that you have a super blessed and special day, and I hope that you feel really, really appreciated. Um, when I was a young boy, I was fascinated by butterflies. Uh, I wasn't obsessed with butterflies, but, but as, as an insect, they, they fascinated me because of their beauty and the interesting way they fly. And um, uh, one of the biggest reasons I was fascinated with them is because I was unable to catch one. Um, for the last 33, 34 years of my life, I'm 33 or 34 years old, I forget, um, I've been unable to catch one of these, these creatures. And they're just absolutely beautiful. Um, that When you touch their wings, that the dust that comes off, um, that's actually tiny little scales that covers their wings. And, and when you put these tiny scales under a microscope, it's in the shape of a perfect, perfect, tiny little feather. So you have this butterfly, beautiful creature, covered in tiny scales or tiny little feathers. And the monarch butterfly especially um, stood out to me, purely because of um, the way they... They, they, they live and, and um, live and die, actually. So monarch butterflies, in one year, um, they bring forth four generations of butterflies. And uh, the first three generations die within six weeks. They live more or, le- more or less six weeks. And um, the fourth generation lives for up to eight months. Up to eight months. Um, they live in, in, in Canada, and then they start journeying from Canada all the way to the mountains in Mexico over a five or almost a 5,000 kilometer journey. 5,000 kilometer journey. I mean, from Durban to Joburg is only 600 kilometers. These tiny little creatures journey from Canada all the way to Mexico. And um, for about four months, they live only on water. They eat nothing else except drink water. And then eventually, at some stage, when they get to the mountains and all the flowers on the mountains start blooming, they, they start building up their energy reserves again as they drink the nectar from the flowers um, so they can make their journey back to Canada. While they're in Mexico, they mate, and then they go back to Canada, and this whole cycle starts again. And every single year, at the exact same time, on the exact same day, these guys instinctively know that they need to migrate at this moment. Isn't that incredible? Um, They were made and designed by God to behave the way they behave. We're at the end of a series called Is Jesus Enough? And we've been doing a study... Um, through the book of Colossians. And maybe just a quick catch-up. Um, the Colossian church was a very, very young church, and Paul wrote a letter to them to address what we now know as the Colossian heresy. Now, this, this heresy had a bunch of things that they were, were guilty of, and one of those things were um, ceremonialism. They were guilty of ascentism, which is a severe form of self-discipline. Um, they were guilty of the depreciation of Christ, secret knowledge, and the reliance of human wisdom and tradition. Essentially, the Colossian heresy was a mix of extreme Jewish legalism. Legalism, everything comes from your works, things you can do, and the early stage of Gnosticism. Now, Gnostic doctrine taught that the world was created and ruled by a lesser divinity, and that Christ was a representative of the remote, supreme, and divine being. So Christ, they didn't believe, was the Son of God or even God himself. He was merely a representative of some supreme being, and this was a problem. And Paul wanted to address this Colossian heresy, and that's why he wrote this book to them. So even though Colossians is a very short book, only four chapters, it is absolutely loaded with serious, serious theology. Um, 
first portion speaks about the wisdom of Christ, and the next part speaks about the preeminence or the importance of Christ, Christ being the main thing. Um, part three is about the application of Jesus. I'm going to spend some time looking at chapter three today, looking at the application of Christ. And then lastly, the fourth section also, chapter four, speaks about the hidden saints of Jesus. Now, let's look at Colossians chapter three. I'm going to read from verse 12. It says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And of all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Since as members of one body, you were all called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on there, and it's very easy to lose track of what Paul is saying in these few verses. In verse 12, he's addressing their identity. We're going to look at verse 12 in a moment. And then in the next verses, from verse 12, or verse 13, right up to verse 17, he's giving them a list of things that they need to do as believers. Now let's slow this down a little bit and look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Speaks about holiness. Now, what is holiness? And I'm guessing most of us have some definition of what we believe holiness is. And, and most commonly, you find the definition of holiness being something like this. Um, they say holiness means to be set apart. Now, ultimately, this idea of holiness comes from God because God is completely set apart from sin. And within his character, you can find no sin, it's completely void of sin. So when someone says you need to be holy, what they are saying is you need to be set apart. And to be like God or to take on the character of God. A.W. Tozer summarizes God's holiness this way. He says, holiness is the way God is. To be holy, he does not need to conform to a standard. He is the standard. That was so good, I'm going to read it again. Holy is the way God is. To be holy, he doesn't need to conform to a standard. God does not need to conform to any standard because he is the standard. So when someone says you need to be holy, you need to take on God's standard. And I think for us to, to better understand holiness, we also need to have a, a clear understanding of the nature of sin. And um, most of us, once again, I think have a, some, some, some form of definition of what sin is. Um, sin is either doing, knowing what good is and not doing it, or doing evil things. And there's no doubt that that is sin. But sin has a way bigger definition than just doing things or not doing things. When Paul speaks about sin, he says that sin is quite literally to miss the mark. Now the question is, what is the mark? The mark is simple. It's God's original plan or God's original creation. Adam and Eve did not miss the mark. They hit the mark because they were perfect. They were created in God's image. Remember, God is holy. Adam and Eve were holy because they were created in God's image. And therefore, they had no sin in them until the day that they chose to sin against God. 
They lost their identity at that moment. But that is the definition of sin. A good example of this, um, Rich actually gave a great example of this last week when he spoke about the woman who, who suffered with blood flow. This woman was declared unclean and treated like a sinner even though she didn't sin. She wasn't declared sinful or unclean because of the things she had done. She was declared unclean because of her blood flow. I just need to highlight this. This wasn't her choice. She didn't do anything evil and didn't choose to to be um, declared unclean. The condition she had was, was in contrast to what the law said. And she missed the mark. It could be as simple as that. To miss the mark can simply mean to not meet the requirements of the law. With that definition, every single one of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one of, not a single one of us can claim that we are holy and that we have taken on the character of God because of our works. Impossible. All of us have sinned and, fall short, and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and we have this desire to be better or to be good people. And I'm guessing most of you have this desire. If we had to ask anyone in the world, do you think you're a good person? My guess is that most of us would say, yeah, I think I'm a good person. I haven't killed anyone. Or some sort of response like that. We have this desire to do good, to be a better person. I remember even in grade seven when I was a young boy at 12 years old, um, we used to walk home from school with a bunch of our friends. And uh, one of my friends, his name was Peter, couldn't see through his one eye. I remember one day we, um, we reached the road that we needed to cross and uh, Peter didn't see that a car was coming towards us fairly fast. And he took a step into the road and I saw this car coming towards us and I was able to grab his backpack and pull him out of the road. And um, both of us at the end of this just looked at each other with our eyes wide open. And he just said, bro, you, you just saved my life. And I'm uh, playing it very cool. I said, yeah, bro, I know. I'm a legend. And um, I'll sign an autograph for you later. Go now and tell everyone how awesome I am. But all jokes aside, when I got home that day, I really did have a sense of pride. Um, I felt that I'd saved this guy's life. And I remember thinking, even at 12 years old, that I wonder if this would make God accept me. Or that I wonder if this would please God. I had this idea that, that all my bad things we put on a scale and all the good things I did would put on the other end of that scale. And, and hopefully one day that the, the scale would tip in my favor and that I've done enough good works. And I thought to myself, I just saved this guy's life. No doubt I've impressed God and the scales will be tipped in my favor and I'm going to be okay for the rest of my life, no matter what I do. And um, very shortly after this, maybe a week or two after that moment, um, I remember sitting in my room and a lady who, who worked for us, she cleaned her house. Um, her name was Sarki. She came from Cape Town. She just had a, a baby and the baby's name was Nicoline. And I remember Sarki, I think she was in the kitchen. Um, Sarki was just, just started shouting her daughter's name. She just started screaming, Nicoline, Nicoline. She said something in the lines of, dear Lord, please help, Nicoline. She eventually ran into my room and said, Nicoline isn't breathing. And I said, what do you mean she isn't breathing? She said, well, she's choking on medicine that I try to give her. I remember jumping up off the bed and taking the baby from her, turning the baby on its belly, facing down and elevating its bum and gave it a little tap on the back. The liquid came out and Nicolene was fine. I remember thinking to myself, and I saved Peter's life. This guy was in grade seven. He had his whole life ahead of him. I've saved a baby. God must be really impressed with me. I had this idea that I could do good things to impress God and those good things, those works of righteousness or those acts of righteousness would somehow get, somehow get me into heaven. 
There's this group of people in the Himalayas, and then once a year they would build this giant arch made out of wood. They would wrap stuff around it, and then they would light this thing. Um, and then as the fire um, takes over, they would run through this arch, and then what would happen in their minds, what they believed was, as they run through the arch, the fire would burn away all of their unrighteousness. Because they have this deep sense that, we, that, they, that they sin for, just like me and you, and that they want to do something to get rid of their, their sins. Now that is referred to as self-righteousness. Believing that you can do righteous things to impress God to get to heaven doesn't work. Scripture says that all our good works are like filthy rags to God. Not because good works are filthy rags, but trying to impress God with our good works. Those are filthy rags. And, and Jesus illustrates this for us when he speaks to a, young, a rich young ruler. A young man approached Jesus one day and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're good. Um, what good works can I do? Listen to what he's asking. What good works, what acts of righteousness can I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, okay, if you want to do good works, you know the law, obey the law, knowing that it's impossible to keep the full extent of the law. And this young man replied and he said, well, I've kept all of these laws. And then Jesus says, well, you've missed one. Go home, sell all your stuff, give the money to the poor. And then he says, follow me and then you'll have eternal life. And the disciples looked at one another and they were shocked. They said to themselves, if, if this guy who appears to be holy and appears to be righteous isn't qualified, he's not good enough, who then is qualified? Who can make it? The truth is, none of us are good enough. In reality, we all have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. And ultimately, we're doomed. We're completely separated from God. Peyton and I were playing in the garden the other day and... Um, she came to me and clenched between her fingers were probably three or four butterflies that she'd caught. And I, I was shocked. I mean, for 34 years of my life, I've never been able to catch a single butterfly. Here she stood with four butterflies trapped between her fingers. I actually thought they were dead. I said, Peyton, where did you get those? She said, I caught them, Dad, like obviously. And um, she let them go to show me that they were alive and they flew away. And she was slightly bummed, disappointed that these butterflies flew away. And she said, well, let me go show you. I followed her and she took me to this tree in our garden. Um, and at the base of this tree, there was a hole in the bottom and, it, and, and liquid was oozing out of it. And there were just a bunches of butterflies drinking the nectar that this tree was providing. And I knew that's where she got it. And, she, and I said, well, how did you catch it? She said, easy, Dad. I just snicked up, I snuck up behind it, um, grabbed the wings and then walked away. And then I thought, well, and then she showed me, she actually showed me, she grabbed one and caught one. Then I did exactly what she did. I followed her steps to the T. And as I get to the butterfly, not even kidding, I reach out my hand and every single butterfly, there's probably between 10 and 15 butterflies, every single one of them flew away as I try to catch them. How annoying. I remember being struck by where these butterflies start off their lives. They start off their lives as this worm-like creature that we know as a caterpillar. And... Um, the thing about a caterpillar is, is that it's a caterpillar. It walks like a caterpillar. It talks like a caterpillar. It eats the food that a caterpillar eats. And no matter how hard it tries, it can be nothing else except a caterpillar. Every fiber of its being says you're a caterpillar and you behave like a caterpillar. We just highlighted what holiness is. We have a clear understanding of what sin is. Now let's look at verse 12 again. Therefore... 
as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Let me just pause there. He's saying, as God's chosen people, you are holy and you are dearly loved. Now, this is a massive revelation and a a significant insight into um, the character or the identity of this group of people. And not only is he speaking to this group of people, he's also speaking to every single believer. He's saying to you and me that as God's chosen people, you are holy. Now, this was a powerful statement considering why he wrote this letter to the Colossians. These guys were, were dabbling with sin. Might have been religious sin, might have been um, self-righteousness, but, but they were not holy in their behavior. and their actions, they were not holy. Paul, in fact, addressed them to make sure that they changed their behavior. And yet, he says, as believers, you are holy. What a powerful, powerful insight. And he, and he does this through scripture quite often. Um, so just a quick reminder, holiness means to be like God. There's a passage in um, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 17, where Paul says that therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I'm going to say that again, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone, he or she is a brand new creation. The old is past and the new has come. Verse 21 says that for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we may become the righteousness of God. I love that. He says we have received the gift of righteousness. Now I would often use the word holiness and the word righteousness interchangeably. But there's a, there's a definite difference. Holiness speaks about the character of God. It speaks about character. Righteousness, on the other hand, speaks about the acts of righteousness or the things we do to become holy. So Paul is telling the Colossians, you are holy. And to make sure they don't step into religious works and acts, he also reminds us that we have received the gift of righteousness, which means we no longer have to do a bunch of things to impress God. Jesus has done all these things on our behalf. We've received these acts of righteousness as a gift freely. So we we no longer have to try and achieve and try and impress God. Verse 17, you're a new creation. In John chapter 3, Jesus speaks to a guy named Nicodemus who approaches him one day. And he was a rabbi, he was a teacher of the law as well. And he says, Jesus, we know that you are from God because the signs that you perform, no man can do without God being with him. And then then Jesus, at some stage, responds to him and he says, "You, you need to be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And then he explains, he says, you need to be born of flesh and water and you need to be born of the spirit. And we receive this new birth when we receive Jesus. John 3.16 speaks about how we receive new life. And Jesus says, you need to believe in me, you need to receive me, you need to turn your whole life towards me. And when you do that, Scripture says the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us, and we receive a new life. We become a brand new creation according to 2 Corinthians 2 verse 17. Something that has never existed before. Why am I telling you this? Remember the, the caterpillar. It can try as hard as it wants. It's always going to behave like a caterpillar. Until one day it finds a comfortable spot and and gets into this hammock-like thing we call a chrysalis. Then one day, through a process of metamorphosis, it is completely and utterly transformed into a brand new creature. Something that has never existed before. The caterpillar could try as hard as it wants. 
cannot transform itself until it goes through the process of metamorphosis. Every single one of us, in essence, because we are sinful and fall short of the glory of God, are like these caterpillars. We try and we try and achieve and we try and press God, but we cannot. We cannot change who we are. We need to have a rebirth. We need to be born again. John 3.16 says we experience rebirth when we surrender our lives to Jesus. At that moment, God himself transforms us and he restores us back to the original creation. We no longer miss the mark. We are perfectly perfect, made in God's image. When we receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in us and our spirit gets completely born again, like a butterfly. What Paul is saying to the Colossians is, Hey guys, therefore, as God's chosen people in verse 12, you are holy, you are now butterflies. Then he says, stop acting like caterpillars. You've been transformed. You now have the ability to act like, cat- uh, like butterflies and you need to do so. See, you are no longer a sinner. You are no longer a sinner. If you are in Christ, you've been completely transformed. You were a caterpillar. You received new life in Jesus, you've been transformed and you are now a butterfly beautifully created just the way God wants you to be. Perfect example of this is there's a movie called The Princess Diaries. You may want to watch it at some stage during lockdown. It's, uh, it's about an actress, uh, Anne Hathaway is the actress in an essentially very simple story. And she's a typical teenage girl and she lives this typical teenage life until one day she finds out that she is actually royalty. In fact, she is a princess. So she has been acting and living her life this whole time as a caterpillar until one day she discovers that actually she's a butterfly. And even though she discovered that she was a butterfly or discovered that she was a princess, her behavior was still that of a caterpillar. Her behavior was still that of a previous life. So the question then is, if we've received the gift of righteousness, if God has made us holy, why do I keep sinning? It's a great question. I think you need to join us for our Zoom room conversation later on this afternoon. The details might have been given to you already, what's going to come up later, but, but you need to join us for this conversation. Essentially, this is what happened to the, the princess in Princess Diaries. She had this old life and this old way of thinking. She had to renew her thinking. She had to be transformed by renewing her mind. The more time she spent renewing her mind, the more she started looking like the butterfly, the more she started looking like the princess. Why do you and I keep sinning? It's because we're not spending enough time renewing our minds. We have the ability now, by the way, because we've been transformed. We are no longer a slave to sin. We are a brand new creation, something that has never existed before. And we now can start flying like the butterfly. We need to spend the time renewing our mind. Why is it important to know that, um, that we are holy and we have received the gift of righteousness? Because the truth is, we don't have freedom when we think that we're a sinner. Every single time we approach God, when we think we're a sinner, we come to Him feeling sorry for ourselves, maybe. Maybe feeling guilty about past sins. Um, I remember when, when, I, when I went to church, before I had this massive revelation, I always went to church always feeling sorry for myself, always feeling guilty. And then I'd spend half of worship just saying, Lord, I'm so sorry. I just, just, I just um, swore at this guy on the road. Um, I did all these things and I spent all this time confessing all these things, feeling so guilty. And then by the time I was ready to connect with God, that time was over. When we understand 
We are holy and we have received the gift of righteousness. We can enter God's presence freely. We no longer have to do what Adam and Eve did. When they lost their identity, when they fell from being this beautiful butterfly into this caterpillar, they hid away from God because of their sin. But we now have been transformed and renewed. We no longer have to feel guilt and shame when we approach God because he has dealt with our sin. Beautiful, beautiful revelation. Now the question is, does this now give me a license to sin? If God has given me the gift of righteousness, if I am holy, does this mean I can just do what I want? No, no, that's not what, what that means. Because from verse 13, Paul gives the Colossians a list of things that they have to do. But the difference here, these, these acts of righteousness, has got nothing to do with achieving holiness. It's got nothing to do with impressing God. But rather, it is a demonstration of who you are. It is a demonstration of your holiness, and it's a demonstration of your righteousness. So now, when you do good works, it's not to impress God. You do good works because you are made in God's image, and God loves people, and you should love people. And that's why we should continue doing good works, because of who we are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to wrap this up. The question is, is Jesus enough? In week one, Debbie told us that um, we are saved by grace through faith and our salvation is a free gift. John revealed to us that, that Jesus was in fact the perfect image of God. He showed us exactly how to live and that was enough. Last week Richard told us that, that reconciliation, Jesus is in fact our reconciliation. He reconciled mankind, their broken relationship with God, he reconciled us. Jesus was enough. Not only was Jesus enough for your reconciliation, he also provided for you holiness and the gift of righteousness. Jesus lived a perfect life on your behalf so that you can fly like a butterfly. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that we have received this gift of righteousness. Thank you that we no longer have to work and to try and press you to achieve eternal life. Lord, you have provided the way for us. And um, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And you give us a brand new life. You completely transform us from this caterpillar to this beautiful butterfly when we surrender our lives to you. Thank you for this free gift. Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray that um, we would receive this revelation so that when we approach you, we could do that freely. That we no longer feel guilty and sorry for ourselves, Lord, but we could enter into your presence and say, Lord, you have forgiven me. And I know that I mess up, but um, you've made the way for me. Thank you that we could have this relationship with you and know that you accept us just as we are. In Jesus' name, amen.